turn with me to the book of Psalms, the book of Psalms, chapter 139. If you're wondering where the book of Psalms is, it's the easiest book in the Bible to find. It's right in the middle of your Bible. And so you want to find Psalms, go to chapter 139. We're going to be looking at verses 23 and 24. We're not going to end there. We're certainly going to start there, but we're looking at a number of different verses today. And I am so excited to bring this message to you. We are continuing a series here at Thrive. It is called Known and Loved. Everyone say Known and Loved. It's because this series is all about relationships. We here at Thrive absolutely believe that you were made to be known and loved. You were made to know people. You were made to love people. You were made for relationships. In fact, there's nothing more important in life than relationships. There's nothing that affects your happiness and your health more than the quality of relationships. There's nothing that impacts your success more than the way you handle your relationships. There's nothing that's more important to God when it comes to your life than how you manage your relationships. And so for that reason, we have been looking at this series together called Known and Loved, where we're looking at nine keys to better relationships, whether it's in your home or it's in your workplace, with friends, with your neighbors. This has been a a fun series that we've started. And have you had a good time so far in this series so far? We've had a great time going through the series so far, and we're just getting started. Uh, today, if you find this series helpful, can I encourage you to do something, church? Is Don't be afraid to share about it with your friends. Don't be afraid to share it on social media. Let people know what's going on here, because that expands our ability as a church family to reach people, to help people, because that's what we're born to do. If you believe that, say amen. And so I encourage you to be vocal, be out loud about what God is doing here at Thrive and what God is doing in your life. And when you do so, you're going to be a blessing in return. Last week, we looked at key number one to nine keys to better relationships. And today, we're looking at key number two. Let me begin by talking to you guys about a story from way back when I was a kid. This was in last century, so a long, long time ago. Here's the thing. When I was growing up, one thing that I hated probably more than anything else was I hated hearing my parents fight. I hated it. I don't know about you. Do you ever you know, hear your parents fight and just really get stressed by it? There was nothing that caused me more stress than when my parents would fight. Fortunately, you know, my, my parents weren't fighting all the time. But like any couple, they had their own share of disagreements, own share of heated conversations. And I would remember whenever that would happen, I would be so sad and I would be so stressed during that time. And I can remember there was a time when I was 10 years old and my parents were having this heated argument. And so I thought I would step in and do something about it. And do you know what I did? Do you know what I decided to do? I decided I'd be, uh, you know, stepping in to be a bit of a marriage counselor to my parents at 10 years old. And so what I did was I asked, hey, mom, dad, can you please sit down? Put them both in the same room, asked dad to sit in one chair, mom sit in another chair. I got a legal pad of paper with me, a pen. I sat in another chair. I said, so mom, can you tell me what is your issue? And then, you know, my mom would start to talk about what's going on. I'd be writing down, you know, notes. I'd be, mm-hmm, yes, yes, okay. And so what I'm understanding from you is that you feel like dad is this way and that way. And she's, yes, yes, yes. And I was, okay, and dad, can you tell me what your issues are? And then he starts talking. I t- t- take notes. But eventually, after time, I think maybe one of them said something that upset the other. They started shouting and shouting more. And it, after about five, ten minutes of trying to be this marriage counselor at 10 years old, I just started to cry because I just became so sad by the fact that they kept on arguing and so sad by the fact that my best effort wasn't enough to keep them from it. And so you know what I did? I got up from my chair. I ran to my bedroom. I flopped on the bed. I put my head planted in the pillow and just started to cry for maybe an hour or two, just big crying. And and, and you know, the funny thing about it was this, is that after about an hour or two of crying, what I didn't notice until later on was this, is that so so many tears were coming out of my eyes, so much saliva was coming out of my mouth, 
so much stuff was coming out of my nose that it all kind of gelled together. It kind of all congealed together to form a little bit of a glue that ended up sticking my face to the pillow. Such that when I got up, without even a helping hand, I could, I could have the, the pillow stuck to my face. And I needed help from my family to get the pillow off. That's how messy it got on that day. And why do I share that story with you today? It's because I'm here to tell you today is that conflicts can get messy. And in every relationship, no matter how close that relationship is, conflicts are inevitable. And sometimes conflicts can get very messy. Sometimes so messy that we don't really know what to do in the midst of that conflict. And that's why today I'm here to share with you a message that I've called Resolving Conflict the Smart Way. Resolving Conflict the Smart Way. See, in every relationship, no matter how close, conflict is inevitable. I'm going to submit to you today that the difference between a healthy, close relationship and an unhealthy, close relationship is not that one never goes through conflicts, the other one is constantly going through conflicts. Rather, it's about the fact that all close relationships go through conflicts. The difference is in how we deal with those conflicts. If you believe that, say amen. And I want to ask you this question this morning is, in your home growing up, what was the culture for conflict resolution in your home? What was the conflict resolution culture? I'm going to tell you, there's generally four conflict resolution cultures that a lot of people find. There are probably more, but let me just give you four that are very, very common that you may find. And let me ask you, which one most closely describes the home that you grew up in? See, four types of conflict resolution cultures. Here's the first one. It's what I call pretenders. Pretenders. Pretenders act as if everything is fine. They put a big smile on their face in front of the people that they're not getting along with and the people that they're getting along with. They just pretend everything's great when deep down everything's not fine. And they pretend everything's fine, but it's not fine. And that was exactly me during the first two, three, mar- three, three not two, three marriages, but two, two, three years of marriage in my marriage to Charlene. Is that, you know, I, I, for, for two, three years, the first two, three years, when something bothered me, I would just hold it in. I wouldn't tell anybody. And I just put on a grin and just pretend everything's fine. But more and more, Charlene, who's got this amazing radar for how I'm feeling, could sense that something was wrong. And she'd be like, hey, honey, what's wrong? I'd be like, oh, no, I'm fine. Nothing's wrong. Nothing's wrong. No, no, something's wrong. Tell me what's wrong. No, 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 I'm fine. I'm seriously fine. Something's wrong. Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. And sometimes this would go on for a day, maybe a couple days, maybe a few days, where she is exhaustingly trying to pry something out of me and being stressed because she doesn't know what's wrong. And I'm just, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. What am I doing? I'm pretending. And as a result, it made it really difficult for my wife during that time. Finally, maybe after a t- couple days, you know, after not saying anything, saying everything's fine, finally, I'm on my bed and she's right beside me. And at maybe 1 or 2 a.m. in the morning, I'm like, Shar, I think we need to talk. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Why couldn't you tell me earlier about this? Something was wrong, but you were just pretending it was not. That was, that's one kind of culture. Did you grow up in a culture of pretenders? That's the first kind of conflict resolution culture. Here's a second kind of conflict resolution culture. It's called exploders. What's an exploder resolution culture? That's where when you're in a home, you know there's a conflict because it's like watching an Avengers movie. It's like there's lots of explosions, there's lots of shouting, there's lots of arguing, there's people ducking for cover, there's maybe things being thrown. You're not really sure when this infinity war is going to end. Soon it becomes this end game where you're not even sure who's going to survive. And you're like, oh my goodness, we're go- here we go again. That is a culture of exploders. Did you grow up in a culture of exploders? That's the second one. Here's the third one. A third one is what I call avoiders. It's where you don't talk about the issue directly with that person that you are mad at. They know you're mad at them, and they have full awareness that there's tension. You know it as well, but you just don't talk to them. You give them the silent treatment, but you talk to everyone else about how mad you are at that person. 
And that leads often to very unhealthy stuff like gossip, backbiting, all that kind of stuff. And that's what an avoider will try to do. Another, another type of conflict resolution culture is what I call mediators. It's where the people in that relationship, the people in that home, when there's a conflict, they really try to work it out. They try to be sensitive to one another. They try to understand where each other's coming from. They try to resolve the matter and have peace in the relationship as carefully as they can. Which one of these conflict resolution cultures best describes the kind of culture that you grew up in? See, there may be other types, but most of us will fall into one of these four. Which one is yours? Which one's the dominant conflict resolution culture for you? And let me ask you another question. How has that culture impacted how you are today? When it comes to the way that you go through conflicts today and how you manage them today, how does it affect the way you deal with conflict today? See, I think intuitively, in theory, I think we all would probably say that it's best to be mediators. It's best to talk things out in a rational way. It's best to be, you know, thinking about one another, trying to understand the other side, trying to, you know, just be peacemakers as best you can. But how many of us know that is so much easier said than done? Amen. And why is that? It's because sometimes our emotions get in the way. Sometimes tempers flare. Sometimes people can be difficult. Sometimes our communication skills may not be great. And what is more is that as inevitable as conflict is, as important as it is to be able to manage conflict wisely and healthily, how many of us actually grew up in a culture or learned it at school how to deal with conflict in a healthy way? I don't think many of us did. And that's why today we're looking at the second of nine keys in this series called Known and Love. Key number two, you can write this down, is resolve conflict the smart way. See, believe it or not, the Bible says some excellent advice about how to resolve conflict in a healthier way. And when we apply that advice wisely to our relationships, you're going to find it will do wonders for the way we deal with conflict. I'm going to summarize, we're going to try to summarize the biblical advice that we see about conflict management into an acrostic that I call SMART, S-M-A-R-T. And I'm going to encourage you to do this. I'm encourage you to take good notes today. We're going to cover quite a lot of stuff this morning that I hope is going to be very helpful to you. And not just that, don't just come right now, don't right now, right, right now here on a Sunday, but go to your small group this coming week. Sign up for a small group this coming week because in your small group, we're going to give you extra content that's going to build on what we just talked about today. So you don't want to miss it. It's exclusive to your small groups. And so make sure you're in a small group sometime this week. And here we go. We're going to go S-M-A-R-T and go through five steps to conflict resolution that the Bible talks about. Here we go. Are you guys ready? Here we go. Why don't you write this down? S stands for search your heart. Search your heart. See, before you immediately lash out at that person that you're so angry at, before you start arguing with that person and saying whatever comes to mind, you want to take a moment, the Bible says, to search your heart. Why is that? It's because when you're in a conflict with someone else, not only is it an external conflict between you and another person, but very likely if you're in a conflict, there's a conflict going on inside of you. Is that you care about this person, but there's some conflicted feelings you have, some conflicted thoughts that you have. It can feel like a mess inside, and it's hard to figure it all out. And you just start blurting stuff out. Whatever comes out, you don't filter through it. You don't organize it. You don't think through it. You can actually be more confused and confuse the other person even more. And that's why it's so important to start to search your heart. Look at Psalm 139, verse 23 to 24. Could you read it with me a big, loud voice? One, two, three, it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way 
everlasting. Turn here and say, search your heart. Search your heart. You can ask God and pray just like David prayed there. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me, any way that I'm going wrong, any way I'm not thinking straight. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me in your better way. See, what does it mean to search your heart? Well, when when we talk about searching your heart, I want to encourage you to ask yourself three questions. Three questions when you're searching your heart. Number one is this. First, why does this bother me so much? You want to ask yourself that question. What? bothers me about this so much? What feelings am I experiencing inside? Don't just be, oh, I'm just, I'm just upset. But just kind of try, try to be a little bit more specific and think about what is it that upsets you? Is it anger that you're feeling? Is it rejection? Is it feeling taken for granted? Is it, is it jealousy? And in addition to, okay, what am I feeling? You want to ask yourself, why am I feeling this way? What happened? What did someone say? What did someone do? What did someone not say that has contributed to me feeling the way that I do right now? You want to explain that and understand that for yourself because the more clearly you can identify what's going on inside of you, the more clearly you can articulate it, the better you're able to deal with it in conflict with someone in a happier, healthy way. If you believe that, say amen. That's the first thing. Second question you want to ask yourself when you're searching your heart is this, is should I bring this up with the person or should I simply keep it to myself? Should I bring it up for the person to talk about with them or should I simply adjust myself? You know, over 16 years of marriage and about 19 years of us being together, Pastor Charlie and I, we have had our share of fights. We've had our share of disputes. We've had our share of heated conversations. Can I tell you a few of the things that we've had a share of conversations about? Can I tell you? Here, the one is we fought over the speed of our windshield wiper. See, I, I've, I've got, when it's raining, I've got this relatively high tolerance for rain on my windshield. It's like, you know, I, I, don't, I don't need it to go uh, that much. Charlene, on the other hand, the moment there's even a single drop of rain on the windshield, she wants it at full blast. I'm exaggerating a little bit. But, that, but that's, that's how it is, is that I, I, I'm, I'm good with a little bit. She wants a lot. And, and, and we, we fought about that. Another thing we fought about was what kind of software to use when we were planning our wedding. 16 years ago, when we were planning our wedding, we fought over, should we use my favorite software, which is Microsoft Word, or should we use Charlene's favorite software, which is Microsoft Excel? And so both of us are on the same keyboard, fighting over the same mouse, trying to go, Excel, no, Word, no, Excel, no, Word. And, and you know what? The fact is, is, if you look at our church administration today, you'll, you'll notice that almost everything is done in Excel, so you know who won that argument. But the fact is this, is that we, we, we fought over, you know, which program, which software program to use. We fought over, should our hardwood floor, should we use hardwood floor or should we use carpet in our home? And you'll notice in our home, you know, there's, uh, you know, a kind, of, kind of a combination of both. But, you know, I, I kind of like carpet. She kind of likes hardwood floor. And, you know, there's once, once a time when, you know, we, we chose a carpet color and one of us is really happy with the carpet color. He's like, oh, look at that. It's like, oh, I don't really like that. Well, it, it's, oh, no, it's fashion forward. No, it's poo brown. You know, it, it's, it's, I don't like it. And, and see, here's the thing is we, we've, forgot, we've fought over big things. We've fought over little things. But over time, we've realized something. One is that we love each other very, very much. We love each other to death. But at the same time, there are sometimes things that are just not worth fighting for. Amen. There are just some things that are just worth not fighting about. Instead of bickering over every little single thing that you can think of, you want to choose your battles wisely. And you have to have the wisdom to let certain matters go because the relationship is more important. Amen. So you want to ask yourself, if you're in that situation, will this issue that I'm so upset about right now, is it going to even matter 48 hours from now? 
Is it going to matter a year from now? If the answer is no, then maybe, just maybe, it's something you might want to leave. But if you find that it's something that really bothers you, such that you can't carry on with the relationship in a healthy way because of that, then you need to have a chat with that person. You need to talk about it with that person. That's the second question you want to ask yourself when you search your heart. Should I bring it up? Should I keep it to myself? Third question is, what's my purpose in wanting to talk with them? What's my motive? Is that if my, pers- if my purpose in wanting to talk to them is simply to tell them off, it's simply to show them how wrong they are and how right I am. It's to judge them. It's to blame them. Then it's probably I'm not ready to have that chat yet. If I go in with that kind of attitude, I am simply asking for a fight. But instead, you want to go in with the attitude of, okay, I'm here to restore peace. I'm here to not prove how right I am. I'm here to just, just restore the relationship, to resolve some hard feelings, to resolve the misunderstanding. And it's about having the right motive when you go. That's the first thing. S stands for search your heart. Turn your name and say, search your heart. Search your heart. M stands for make the invitation. What invitation? Make the invitation to talk. Today, I want to show you two statements that Jesus made about resolving conflict. And it's two different situations. The first situation that we're going to look at is where you know that you have wronged someone else. And so what does Jesus say about a situation where you have wronged someone else? Look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24 with me. Read it with me in a big, loud voice. It says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Hey, by the way, you guys are reading great today. You guys are awesome. Praise God for a proactive church. But what was Jesus saying today? He's saying in this passage is that if you know that there's someone in your life that you have wronged, then you want to go and reconcile with that person because you might be in church and worshiping God, but how many of you guys know that your relationship with God is in many ways intertwined with your relationship with people? And if your relationship with people is not right, then there's going to be something that's not right with your relationship with God as well. Amen. And so that's why he says, you know, go and be reconciled to that person. Look at another situation. The situation now is the opposite. It's where someone has wronged you. You believe that someone else has hurt you in a really bad way. What do you do about that? Look at Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. What does Jesus say? He says, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. Okay, we're not going to read all of Matthew 18, but here, what, what is Jesus saying? See, notice this. Whether it's a situation where you have wronged someone else or someone else has wronged you, notice that Jesus says the same thing. Go and find that person. Go and make up with that person. In other words, if you know there's something between the two of you that's keeping you from carrying on in the relationship in a healthy way, regardless of who wronged who, don't wait for the other person to take the initiative and make things right with you. You go and you take the initiative first. You make the invitation. If you believe that, say amen. And see, you'll be, you'll be, well, why should I make the invitation? He's the one who wronged me. Well, it's because God never tells us to do what he himself is not willing to do. And see, what I mean by that is that the Bible says that when we had sinned against God and by our sin, we had broken our relationship with God, God did not say, well, I'm going to wait for you to come and make it right with me. Long before we ever thought about reaching for God, God 
tried to make it right for us. He sent Jesus Christ's son to die on the cross for our sins. He was not the one who did anything wrong. He was the one who was wrong, and yet he took the first step. He took the initiative. He died on the cross for our sins to pay the penalty for our sins so that we could be forgiven, so we could be brought back to God, so that we could be restored in, res- in, in, in relationship, so that we can be reconciled. So it was Jesus Christ who took the first step and made the invitation to us. If you believe that, if you love God for that, give God a big big hand here in this place right now because that's how God treats you and me. He took the first step. In the same way, God expects us to do the same. Take the first step. It's the smart way of resolving conflict. Now, when you're making the invitation to talk to someone else, here are a couple very practical suggestions for you. Number one is this, is find a time that works best for both of you. Find a time when both of you ideally can be at your best, where you can focus on what you have to talk about, where you, you know, and the more serious the matter, the more time you want to allot to it, find a time that works best for you. And the second piece of advice is, that said, don't wait too long. Don't wait too long. See, you don't want to be telling the person, hey, uh, I'm really glad you could meet with me. I I just want to talk about something that you said about seven years ago. Yeah, like, I I don't know if you remember. Do you remember? You don't remember? How, How come you don't remember? I totally remember. I totally remember. And it's on my old phone, like from seven years ago. I still have it recorded. And see, that's the thing, is that, is that you, you want to not wait too long to resolve the matter. Ephesians 4, 26, 27 says it this way. Read it with me, loud voice. One, two, three, it says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. If you have your Bibles in front of you, would you underline that middle part that says, Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. In other words, don't let a conflict persist for too long. You want to aim to resolve conflicts soon. Why is that? Some people say, oh yeah, you know what? Don't worry about that. Time heals all wounds. No, it doesn't. Time doesn't heal all wounds. You and I, we all know people in our lives who for 40, 50 years even, have been bitter at someone for doing something or saying something and they've never resolved the issue with them and has time healed all wounds? It hasn't. In fact, things may be even worse now than they were many, many years ago when it actually happened. Time doesn't heal all wounds. The fact is this, that left untreated, an emotional wound, a severe emotional wound can fester. It can actually cause other big problems in your life. And so you don't want to leave until it's too late. You want to make the invitation to talk sooner than later. You can say, hey, you know what? Do you just have a couple minutes? We'll just talk about something really quick. Or maybe, maybe two, not two minutes, but maybe like, can we have like 10 minutes together? Is that okay? Just want to talk about stuff. Just want to understand something a little bit. Is that okay? And, and what you're doing is you are making it a point to resolve things early. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Here's a question for you this morning, church. Is there someone in your life where you need to make that kind of invitation? Is there someone in your life today, a relationship in your life today, where you know that you are not able to carry on in a healthy way and you need to have that talk? Can I ask you to do this? Don't wait 10 years from now to talk to them about it. Don't wait even a year from now. Do something soon if talking to them is what you need to do. That's the first thing. Here's another thing as well, is when you are making the invitation, when it's face-to-face, it's always better than doing it by text or doing it by email. I don't know how many arguments have actually ever been resolved over email, serious relationship arguments. I don't know of any because the fact is this, is when you write what you believe or when you write what you feel, when you write what you think, the other person can't see what you really mean, can't see your body language, can't hear your tone. And so always aim to meet face-to-face. If you can't meet face-to-face, meet by phone. Try not to resolve things by email or text because that often leads to just more misunderstanding. A stands for 
ask to learn their story. S stands for search your heart. M stands for make the invitation. A stands for ask to learn their story. You know, whenever Charlene and I would argue, especially in those early years of marriage, one thing that would often happen, and I'll just happily disclose this to you guys, is that when we would argue, we would both do a lot of talking. A lot of talking. We would spend so much time articulating each of our positions and very logically reasoning why we are so right, the other person so wrong. I would have my three-point sermon going sharp. Point number one, I think you're wrong. Point number two, you're still wrong. Number three, I'm right. And, and it, just, it, just, it was just like, you know, I had PowerPoint slides if I needed them. You know, I got Charlene, who's, who's, who's got her Microsoft Excel spreadsheets, you know, and she's, she's got, got a chart of, you know, why I'm wrong. And, and I'm, I'm, again, exaggerating a little bit, but the fact is this, is that whenever I would have these kind of arguments with Charlene, my brain would hurt at at the end, number one, because Charlene is extremely smart. She's much smarter than me. And number two is because we weren't getting anywhere by doing that. Yet all the time, we'd be focused on defending our thesis about one another, defending our respective positions without taking any time to understand where the other person was coming from. It was such an inefficient way to, co- to resolve conflict. Maybe you've felt the same way in the past. Look at Proverbs 18, 13. What does it say? The Living Bible Translation says it this way. It says, what a shame. Yes, how stupid to decide before knowing the facts. See, in other words, before you present your thesis, your master's thesis on why the other person is so very wrong and why you are so very right, take the time to understand where the other person is coming from. See, realize that all you know is what you've seen and what you've heard, and what you feel. You don't know the other person's side of the story. You're not God. You're not all-knowing. You're not all-seeing. You don't know what their intentions are, no matter how much you assume that you know. The fact is, you don't. And so what you need to do is you need to take the time to ask. Instead of blaming the other person, being defensive when you ask that person anything, ask questions that will help you see where that person's coming from. Ask that person to questions that will help you understand their point of view, where you can actually see how each of you contributed to where you are right now. You want to ask open-ended questions like, okay, hey, like a uh, baby or mister or sir or, or, or honey or whoever it is you're talking to, it's like, hey, hey, I, I want to understand kind of just the situation a little bit more. Like, how, how did we get here? Like, what, what did each of us do to get to this point? From your perspective, what do you think happened? You ask them that question, open-ended question, right? You ask them, you know, okay, what did you mean when you said you don't want to see me? Can, can you kind of explain that for me? Like, just kind of, kind of like clarify for me what you meant? You can say, you know, when, when I said X, what that, what, how did that make you feel? Like, what, what, were you, what were you thinking at that time when I said, when I said X, you know? Or, or what else do I not know here that would help me understand where you're coming from? What are these questions? These are seeking to learn kind of questions. You are honestly you're just sincerely wondering, okay, how can I better understand where you come from? You are shifting your attitude from, I already have you all figured out. I have already everything understood about you to help me understand. Instead of trying to win the, uh, the argument, trying to prove the person wrong, you go into the conversation ready to learn and say, okay, I recognize there's maybe some stuff that I'm not considering right now that you know that I need to know. By asking, you might just learn something that significantly changes the way you deal with the situation. Amen.
It happened to me before. It happens to me often is that I talk with the person. I spend time just asking them questions and finding out more about what happened. And then, oh, okay, I real, okay, that's why it happened that way. All right. And then and all of a sudden, like, my, my position changes. It's because I took the time to ask. So as part of asking to learn, here's one more thing. Write this down. Be a great listener. What? Be a great listener. What? Be a great listener. James 1.19 says it this way. Read with me a big loud voice. One, two, three, it says, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I like what one pastor says about it. He says, maybe the reason why God gave us two ears and one mouth is because God wants us to listen at least twice as much as we speak. Maybe that's the reason why our bodies are shaped the way that they are. Because the fact is this, we tend to do the opposite. You know, James 1.19 says everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. We often do the opposite. Everyone, we, everyone should be quick to listen. We're often slow to listen. We are quick to speak. We are quick to get angry. And so how do you be a good listener? Well, more than anything, being a great listener is about being willing to learn. And we talked about it already. You have a, t- a humble attitude. You have a teachable attitude toward the situation, even toward the person you're talking to. Kind of, okay, what do I not understand yet? Help me to understand. But there are some other practical things that you can do to show that you're listening. And, and there, there's a few. One is this. Put the phone down. Okay? Turn off the screen. Right? Turn the iPad off. You know, look at the person and give them your attention. You know, don't interrupt. Just let them talk and you just listen. Paraphrase back to them what you heard. So, so what you're saying is that when I said that in front of your friends, it made you feel awkward and embarrassed. That's what you're saying? Okay. All right. Okay. I, I think I get that now. You're paraphrasing back to them, letting them know that you hear what they're saying. Let me ask this question. Are you a good listener? Are you? When I, if I were to ask the people sitting beside you today, you know, are you a good listener, what would they say? Because here's the thing. Part of loving a person well is being a good listener. And one more thing happens when you listen well. You know what it is? When you listen well, it encourages the other person to listen well to you. It's true. A lot of people, they're like, oh, why doesn't he listen to me? I, I just feel like he doesn't listen. My question for them is, are you listening to them? So sometimes the reason why that other person is not listening to you is because you are not listening to them. It goes both ways. A stands for ask to learn. Is this helpful in this place so far? Let's go to R. R stands for recount your side in your recount your side in a gentle and loving way. S is for search your heart. M is make the invitation. A is to ask for, for, for ask to learn. R is recount your side in a loving and gentle way. Could you read with me Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 with me? Read it with a big loud voice. One, two, three, it says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. If you have your Bibles in front of you, could you underline or highlight these important words, speaking the truth in love? Speaking the truth in love. See, it's not just about speaking the truth but it's about speaking the truth in love. How do you do that? How do you give feedback to someone in a relationship, but in a loving way? How do you give honest feedback to that person in a loving way? Well, here are a few practical suggestions that we can talk about today. Number one is this. Speak honestly and accurately. Don't exaggerate. Don't exaggerate. You never take time to take care of my needs. You are always so self-centered. You are never on time. You always forget to take out the trash. See, what are you doing? You're speaking in exaggerations. And you know what happens when you speak in exaggerations? Two things happen. The first thing is you're forcing the other person to have to wrestle with and defend 
hurtful and inaccurate statements. And now it's like kind of like, what is that? Where's that come from? I, I'm not always self-centered. Yeah, I, 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 I have my moments, but I'm not always self-centered. You, you, you're now forcing them to talk about something you're not even talking about in the first place. The second thing that's related is that when you speak in exaggerations, what happens? You're distracting both you and the other person from solving the real issue. So instead of speaking in exaggerated terms, oh, you're always so dumb. You're always so irresponsible. You want to do this. Be specific and accurate about what you're saying. You can say, when you do X, I feel Y. When you made that decision without talking to me about it first, it made me feel like I don't matter to you. When you show up late without calling me in advance, I felt disrespected, like you don't value my time. When you put your arm around that other person that way, I felt jealous. I felt insecure. What are you doing? You are being specific and accurate about what happened and how you feel. See, it's about speaking honestly and accurately. Don't exaggerate. Here's another one. Avoid insults and sarcasm. You know, earlier we talked about how it's good to ask questions. Well, let me qualify that right. It's good to ask questions where the questions are for learning. But don't ask a question if it's not a real question. Let me give you an example. Don't ask questions like, can you shut up for a minute? Listen, listen to me. Or you know, do, do, you, do, you have, do you have to drive so dangerously? Like, like is, is there not a moment in time in the history of all mankind when you're not being selfish? What, what is that? That's not a real question where you want to learn. What is that? That is an attack. That is sarcasm disguised in a question. And that doesn't help anyone at all. Don't use degrading or abusive language to put the other person down. Oh, you're such an idiot. Oh, you're so stupid. See, you always want to respect the value and the worth of the person that you're in conflict with, even when you don't agree. Why? Because that's how God treats us. Is that Notice that when we are not in agreement with God, God still died on the cross for our sins. Our value doesn't change based on whether or not we agree with God. That's not the way God sees us. He loves you unconditionally, and he asks us to love each other that way as well, is that you respect the other person's value, and you respect the other person's worth, even if you disagree. Amen. So you want to avoid being insulting. You want to avoid being sarcastic. You're just kind of looking down on them, putting them down that way. Don't do that. Another thing is this. Avoid threats. I want a divorce. I'm giving up. I'm leaving. I'm not going to be your friend anymore. I quit. What are, that? What, what are those? Those are threats. And, and when you make a threat that way, do you know what happens to the relationship? You're escalating the conflict to the highest possible level. You might have simply been play, arguing about who should play video games first. Now you're talking about should this relationship even exist? And see, what happens is this, is that you are introducing a new level of stress to the relationship and you are changing the nature of the fight. Instead of dealing with the issue at hand, you've now introduced a far bigger issue. Are we even going to be together anymore? And so unless you're absolutely serious and you've got a biblical reason for what you're trying to do, don't even mention it. You want to avoid threats. Otherwise, they'll simply escalate the conflict and make things worse. Here's one more is watch your tone. Watch your tone. See, one of the most important lessons I think I've learned after counseling a lot of people through, you know, marital problems or through friendship problems or through dating problems or for, you know, working relationship problems and even seeing it in my own life is this, is that how often is it this way? Is that so often when people have a misunderstanding, when people have a conflict with one another, it's not always about what they said. So often it's about how they said it. You know what I'm talking about? So often, it's, it wasn't what they said. It was their tone of voice. 
It was their attitude when they said, said it. It was their body language when they said it. It was their you know, eye contact or their lack thereof when they said it. That, oh, that bothers me. And see, it's about watching your tone. Look at Proverbs 15, verse 1 with me. Can you read it with me in the big, loud voice? One, two, three, it says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And so, you know, I, I found that in so many relationships that, that so much depends not just on what you say, but how you say it. And so you want to watch your tone. You want to avoid raising your voice. You want to, you know, watch your timing as well. You definitely don't want to be abusive, whether it's verbally or physically in any kind of way, because it's not just what you say, it's how you say it that counts. And so even if it means biting your tongue and waiting a little bit and taking a few deep breaths, do it if it's going to mean that you can speak in a more gentle way. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. Finally, T stands for take the lead. S stands for search your heart. M stands for make the invitation. A stands for ask to learn their story. And then R stands for recount your story in a loving, gentle way. T stands for take the lead. I'm going to put to you today that if you want to resolve conflict in a smart way, there are three areas where you can take the lead. It doesn't matter if you're the older one or the younger one. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. It doesn't matter if, it doesn't matter what the relationship power structure is. You can still take the lead in these three areas. I'm going to encourage you to do so. And here they are. Number one, take the lead in acknowledging the other person's feelings. You know, whenever Charlene and I would have a heated conversation, especially early in our marriage, we were both so focused on solving the problem that we wouldn't acknowledge our feelings in the process. And for some reason, the conversation would never feel satisfying or complete until one of us at the end of the day would be, you know, reaching out our hand to the other and, you know, maybe patting them on the back or holding your hand saying, oh, poor baby. Oh, poor baby. In fact, that became almost a joke between us because we, we, we felt like neither one of us showed enough compassion to one another. So, so, can, so be like, oh, can you please say, oh, poor baby. Oh, poor baby. And it's because we're trying to acknowledge each other's feelings. That was early on in our relationship. Since then, praise God, we've gotten better in this area where you know, we don't need to ask the person, oh, can you acknowledge my feelings, please? But rather, one of us will prior, proactively say, hey, you know, I, know, I know that must have been really stressful. You know, I, I know that must have been really frustrating. How do you feel about it right now? Yeah, I know that must have been really hard. How do you feel about it now? And see, you might think, well, JB, I don't care about feelings. I care about solving the issue. we're, We're talking about the mortgage. We're talking about our finances, man. We're talking about our, our son's schooling. We're talking about, you know, like where, where we're going to go for vacation. This is, not, this is not about feelings. This is not feelings. This is about, you know, other stuff. You need to understand this. You got to understand this. When you're in a conflict with someone else and that person shares their feelings with you, that arise from that conflict. There are some invisible questions that they are wondering about as they're sharing the feeling with you. Do you know what those invisible questions are? Those invisible questions that they will not say to you, but they're there, are, do you understand how I feel? Is it okay that I feel this way? Do you care about me? And they're not gonna say it out loud, but the moment they say, you know, I'm really stressed, or, you know, I'm really upset, or I feel really insecure, or I, I just feel just like really frustrated. I feel really taken for granted. Deep down, they're asking, do you care? 
do, do you understand? Is it important to you that I feel this way? And see, these questions will be on that person's mind until you acknowledge those feelings. And it's almost like having an untied shoelace. Do you guys have untied shoelaces? I, I really don't like untied shoelaces. That's why I try to avoid shoelaces as much as possible. But, but the thing, the thing is, when you have an untied shoelace and you're trying to walk forward, it's, it's, it's annoying. It's kind of like you feel like you, know, you can't really go forward very well. It's just like that. Is that you know, when you have feelings that are unacknowledged, it's like having an untied shoelace where it's going to feel like until you get down, you acknowledge what's going on, you tie it up, then you can move forward. And see, feelings are a lot like that as well. And so when someone goes out of their way to share, okay, this is how I feel, you want to acknowledge those feelings. Amen. You want to say, okay, yeah, I, I hear you. It was frustrating. I'm sorry it was so frustrating for you. Your feelings matter. Yes, I got it. I understand. Yes, I care about you. you what you think, what you feel really matters to me. You know, it, it's no wonder that over and over the Bible tells us to be compassionate to one another. Being compassionate part of it is verbally expressing, acknowledging the other person's feelings. It doesn't mean you agree with that person's stance on the issue. It doesn't mean, okay, so we'll just do whatever you want to do. No, it's not about that. But it's just saying, I care not just about solving the issue. I care about you as a person. Amen. So don't try to solve the issue without dealing with the feelings first, because in many ways, the feelings are the issue. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Read it with me in a big, loud voice. 1, 2, 3, it says, Finally, all of you should be of one mind, sympathize with each other, love each other as brothers and sisters, be tenderhearted, and keep a humble attitude. Is that you want to acknowledge each other's feelings. Number two, second area where you can take the lead. Write this down. Take the lead in apologizing for your part, in apologizing for any mistake that you may have made. Even if it's a situation where you feel like the other person was 95% at fault and you have maybe 5% to do with, to do with it, you want to take the lead in apologizing for your part, no matter how small it might be. What is that called? That's called humility. That's called humility. You know, in fact, it reminds me of the first piece of marriage advice I ever got as a newly married man. Do you know what it was? This, in fact, right before I became a married man, I was, you know, at the church where we we're going to get married. I was going to get married to Shar, and I was excited about it. And I had my groomsmen in the back. We're waiting to go on the stage. And I, I just asked the, my, my groomsmen, hey, any last-minute marriage advice for me? Because a couple of them were married. And both of them said, never forget the three most important words in marriage. Never forget the three most important words in marriage. I was like, Pfft. I know that. that that's, I, I say I love you to Shar all the time. They're like, oh, no, you silly, naive groom. The three most important words in marriage are not I love you. The three most important words in marriage are I am sorry. Or it's my fault. Or mea culpa. Or whatever you want to call it. Whatever language you want to say it, it all means the same thing. They're still the three most important words in the marriage relationship. It's about you apologizing for your part. Because you're going to find this. Is that there are certain things we can do that escalate a fight. When we exaggerate, it escalates the fight. When we threaten, it escalates the fight. You know, when we are abusive and we insult, that escalates the fight. But there's something we can do that disarms the fight. Do you know what it is? It's a sincere apology. It's when we say, I'm sorry. It was my bad. I was wrong. You know, if the other person has a soft heart, it'll disarm the argument you're going through. Look at Proverbs 28, 13 with me. Read it with me, a big loud voice. One, two, three, it says, he who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. You know, so nowadays, whenever I officiate weddings, I often give the same advice that my groomsmen gave me, except I'll, I'll word it a little bit different. You know what I'll say? I'll say to the bride and the groom, I'll say, I'll say a bunch of things, but one thing I'll, I'll almost always say is this. Okay, guys, 
be quick to admit when you're wrong, be quick to forgive when you're wronged, and be quick to move on when it has nothing to do between right and wrong. Be quick to admit when you're wrong. Here's the warning for you today, though. Is I'm talking about be quick to apologize, take the lead in apologizing for your part, but warning, okay? Caveat, warning. Don't apologize without knowing what you're apologizing for, okay? Guys especially, okay? Is that your loved one is mad, you know they're mad, you're like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You're like, what are you sorry for? I don't know. And see, here's the thing. You want to listen first, understand their perspective, acknowledge their feelings, and then you apologize. Amen. All right? So guys, could you just, just do, I, know, I know you're with me. Could you just repeat this after me? All right? I, I know sometimes it's tough to say, I'm sorry. So, so why don't you just practice with me? You can say, guys, in this way, say, baby. Say it like you mean. Say, baby, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Oh. Girls are like, oh, that's the music to my ears. Right. Okay, let's try the girls. Try the girls now. Okay, girls. Okay, here we go. You're, 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 you're same, same plus you. Okay, repeat after me. Honey. I, well, no, no, no. Honey, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Wow, wow, wow. Some of you just want to vomit right now, don't you? But it's okay. It's okay. Vomiting, if it helps, will make your apology even more memorable, all right? Whatever you need to do to... Make that apology, do it, because you're taking the lead and showing humility. Amen. So very important. Finally, finally, as we end this morning, you want to take the lead in one more area, which is take the lead in searching for a solution. You see, now that you've taken the time to understand each other's sides, you've taken the time to acknowledge each other's feelings, now you can work toward a solution. You want to keep this in mind. Is that the reason why we do conflict resolution isn't just to take care of the past. It's so that we can take even better care of our future so that we won't go through the same stuff that we went through again. And here's a question for you, is that what kind of stuff can you talk about? What kind of stuff you say? What you say, okay, what, what, what can I do differently that's going to help you in this situation in the future? You know, what can I do differently that's going to keep us from getting to this place? And here's, here's what you can do differently. You can talk, talk about that very openly. And, and you're going to find this, is that sometimes, sometimes it's simply about forgiving and moving on. There's really not much else you need to do or change. It's simply something happened, you just forgive, you move on. Sometimes that's the case. Sometimes it's about being willing to discuss different options until you both agree on something that will be, meet both your needs. You, you start brainstorming. Okay, like, okay, how about this? Is that we do this and we do that? So we go, we go here for our vacation and we come back and then we can do the, this thing that we want to do. How about that? And, and you're, you're, you're brainstorming. And even between Charlene and me and with our staff team at Thrive, I've got the saying, which is, okay, you can feed the duck or kill the duck. I, what, what does that mean is that when, when we're at our round table, we're, we're talking, we're brainstorming about ideas for the church, is that sometimes I'll have an idea and I'll say, okay, okay, uh, here's an idea. You can either feed the duck or shoot the duck. Either way. You, you, so feed the duck means you love the idea, let's keep on going with it, or shoot the duck. It's okay with me. It's cool either way. We're just brainstorming here, okay? How about this? How about we do this? And you just brainstorm and you, you, you do that to kind of, fi- all with the purpose of finding a solution. And sometimes we'll find a solution that works great for both of you. And you're like, you know what? Okay, let's try that. Let's try it. Let's not be afraid. Just give it a try. Sometimes it's like that, where you can find a solution that works for both of you. But sometimes, sometimes there's no solution. Sometimes there's no way to compromise. And the only thing you can really do is just agree to disagree. And you can still respect one another, you can still love one another, but you just don't have a compromise. You just don't have a solution, you just kind of move on. 
and you try to respect one another and you love one another. And here's the thing. Let me put it this way. You don't always need to see eye to eye to walk hand in hand. Let me say that again. You don't need to always see eye to eye to walk hand in hand. There are there are places, room, hopefully not big issues in your life, hopefully not issues of big, like, differences in your values, but, you know, maybe hopefully something small like, you know, uh, you know, should the toilet seat be up or down? Or, you know, who should take out the garbage? Like, like, hopefully small things, hopefully not big things, but you don't always need to see eye to eye in order to walk hand in hand. It's because that's partly about respecting one another as people. Philippians 3, 13, 14 says it this way. Could you read it with me, big, loud voice? You guys have been awesome today. Read this with you right now. It says, Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You know, praise God that regardless of what your conflict resolution history has been like, whether it's been really painful, really upsetting, Uh, even traumatizing for some of you. Praise God that we have a forward-looking God who is always ready to do new things in our lives. And if you find the past that you've been hurt because of the way that you tried to resolve conflict, guess what? Forget what is behind. Strain toward what is ahead. There's a new day coming for you. It's a time when you can learn by the power of God's word how to resolve conflict in a smart way. And to recap it, it's S stands for search your heart. M stands for make the invitation to talk. A stands for ask to learn their story. R stands for recount your side of the story in a loving, gentle way. And T stands for take the lead. Take the lead in apologizing first. Take the lead in understanding and acknowledging the other person's feelings. Take the lead in searching for a solution. Finally, you might be here and you're asking, well, JB, I get you. I get that these all are important things and helpful things, but what if the person that I'm dealing with is so difficult and so stubborn that none of this stuff works on them? No matter how much I try to listen, no matter how much I say I'm sorry, no matter how much I try to talk with them, they just won't talk. They just won't do anything. What happens then? Well, we're going to talk about that later in the series. It's going to be an amazing time as we talk about how to deal with the most difficult types of relationships. And so with that in mind, I hope you'll receive what we talked about today. It's about learning to resolve conflict in a smart way. Do you receive this today? Can you give God a big hand, a big shout in this place this morning?